0: Chapter 37 of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M.B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter 37 Captain Kearney's Illness. He makes his will and devises sundry chateaux en Espagne for the benefit of those concerned the legacy duty in this instance not ruinous he signs seals and dies the captain as was his custom went on shore and took up his quarters at a friend's house that is to say the house of an acquaintance or any polite gentleman who would ask him to take a dinner and a bed this was quite sufficient for captain kearney who would fill his portmanteau and take up his quarters without thinking of leaving them until the ship sailed or some more advantageous invitation was given This conduct in England would have very much trespassed upon our ideas of hospitality. But in our foreign settlements and colonies, where the society is confined and novelty is desirable, a person who could amuse, like Captain Kearney, was generally welcome, let him stay as long as he pleased. All sailors agree in asserting that Halifax is one of the most delightful ports in which a ship can anchor. "'Everybody is hospitable, cheerful, and willing to amuse and be amused. "'It is, therefore, a very bad place to send a ship if you wish her to refit in a hurry, "'unless, indeed, the Admiral is there to watch over your daily progress "'and a sharp commissioner to expedite your motions in the dockyard. "'The Admiral was there when we arrived, and we should not have lain there long, "'had not the health of Captain Kearney, by the time that we were ready for sea, "'been so seriously affected that the doctor was of the opinion that he could not sail.' Another frigate was sent to our intended cruising ground, and we lay idle in port. But we consoled ourselves. If we did not make prize money at all events, we were very happy, and the major part of the officers very much in love. We had remained in Halifax Harbour about three weeks, when a very great change, for the worse, took place in Captain Kearney's disease. Disease, indeed, it could hardly be called. He had been long suffering from the insidious attacks of a hot climate, and though repeatedly advised to invalid, he never would consent. His constitution appeared now to be breaking up. In a few days he was so ill that, at the request of the naval surgeons, he consented to be removed to the hospital, where he could command more comforts than in any private house. He had not been in the hospital more than two days when he sent for me, and stated his wish that I should remain with him. "'You know, Peter, that you are a cousin of mine, and one likes to have one's relations near one when we are sick. So bring your traps on shore.' the doctor has promised me a nice little room for yourself, and you shall come and sit with me all day. I certainly had no objection to remain with him, because I considered it my duty so to do, and I must say that there was no occasion for me to make any efforts to entertain him as he always entertained me. But I could not help seriously reflecting and feeling much shocked at a man lying in so dangerous a state, for the doctors had pronounced his recovery to be impossible. Still continuing a system of falsehood during the whole day without intermission, but it really appeared to him to be innate. And as Swinburne said, if he told the truth, it was entirely by mistake. Peter, said he one day, there's a great draught. Shut the door and put on some more coals. The fire does not draw well, sir, replied I, without the door is open. It's astonishing how little people understand the nature of these things. When I built my house called Wellcott Abbey, there was not a chimney would draw. "'I sent for the architect and abused him, "'but he could not manage it. "'I was obliged to do it myself. "'Did you manage it, sir?' "'Manage it? I think I did. "'The first time I lighted the fire I opened the door, "'and the draft was so great that my little boy William, "'who was standing in the current of the air, "'would have gone right up the chimney "'if I had not caught him by the petticoats. "'As it was, his frock was on fire. "'Why, sir, it must have been as bad as a hurricane. "'No, no, not quite so bad.' But it showed what a little knowledge of philosophical arrangement could effect. We have no hurricanes in England, Peter, but I have seen a very pretty whirlwind when I was at Wilcot Abbey. Indeed, sir? Yes, it cut four square haystacks quite round, and I lost twenty tons of hay. It twisted the iron lamp post at the entrance just as a porpoise twists a harpoon, and took up a sow in her litter of pigs that were about a hundred yards from the back of the house, and landed them safe over the house. TO THE FRONT, WITH THE EXCEPTION OF THE OLD SOW PUTTING HER SHOULDER OUT. INDEED, SIR? YES, BUT WHAT WAS STRANGE, THERE WERE A GREAT MANY RATS IN THE HAY RICK, AND UP THEY WENT WITH THE HAY. NOW, PETER, BY THE LAWS OF GRAVITATION, THEY NATURALLY CAME DOWN BEFORE THE HAY, AND I WAS WALKING WITH MY GREYHOUND, OR RATHER TERRIER, AND AFTER ONE COMING DOWN CLOSE TO HER, WHICH SHE KILLED, IT WAS QUITE RIDICULOUS TO NOTICE HER LOOKING UP IN THE AIR AND WATCHING FOR OTHERS. A GREYHOUND, DID YOU SAY, SIR, OR A TERRIER? both peter the fact is she had been a greyhound but breaking her foreleg against a stump when coursing i had the other three amputated as well and then she made a capital terrier she was a great favourite of mine well observed i i have read something like that in baron munchausen mr simple said the captain turning on his elbow and looking me severely in the face what do you mean to imply oh nothing sir but i have read a story of that kind most probably THE GREAT ART OF INVENTION IS TO FOUND IT UPON FACTS. THERE ARE SOME PEOPLE WHO OUT OF A molehill, WILL MAKE A MOUNTAIN, AND FACTS AND FICTION BECOME SO BLENDED NOWADAYS THAT EVEN TRUTH BECOMES A MATTER OF DOUBT. "'Very true, sir,' replied I, and as he did not speak for some minutes I ventured to bring my Bible to his bedside, as if I were reading it to myself. "'What are you reading, Peter?' said he. "'Only a chapter in the Bible, sir,' said I. "'Would you like that I should read aloud?' yes i'm very fond of the bible it's the book of truth peter read me about jacob and his weathering esau with a mess of pottage and obtaining his father's blessing i could not help thinking it singular that he should select a portion in which for divine reasons a lie was crowned with such success and reward when i had finished it he asked me to read something more i turned over to the acts of the apostles and commenced the chapter in which ananias and sapphira were struck dead when i had finished he observed very seriously that is a very good lesson for young people peter and points out that you should never swerve from the truth recollect as your motto peter to tell truth and shame the devil after this observation i laid down the book as it appeared to me that he was quite unaware of his propensity and without a sense of your fault how can repentance and amendment be expected he became more feeble and exhausted every day and at last was so weak that he could scarcely raise himself in his bed one afternoon he said peter i shall make my will not that i am going to kick the bucket just yet but still it is every man's duty to set his house in order and it will amuse me so fetch pen and paper and come and sit down by me i did as he requested write peter that i anthony george william charles huckison kearney my father's name was anthony peter i was christened george after the present regent william and charles after mr pitt and mr fox who were my sponsors Huckison is the name of my great uncle whose property devolves to me he's eighty-three now so I can't last long have you written down that yes sir being in sound mind do hereby make my last will and testament revoking all former wills yes sir i bequeath to my dearly beloved wife augusta charlotte kearney she was named after the queen and princess augusta who held her at the baptismal font all my household furniture books pictures plate and houses for her own free use and will and to dispose of at her pleasure upon her demise is that down yes sir also the interest of all my money in the three per cents reduced and in the long annuities and the balance in my agent's hands for her natural life at her death to be divided into equal portions between my two children william mohammed potemkin kearney and caroline anastasia kearney is that down yes sir well then peter now for my real property my estate in kent let me see what is the name of it walcott abbey my three farms in the vale of aylesbury and the marshlands in norfolk i bequeath to my two children named, the proceeds of the same to be laid up deducting all necessary expenses for their education for their sole use and benefit is that down not yet sir use and benefit now it is sir until they come to the age of twenty-one years, or in case of my daughter until she marries with the consent of my executors, then to be equally and fairly valued and divided between them. You observe, Peter, I never make any difference between girls and boys. A good father will leave one child as much as another. Now I'll take my breath a little. I was really astonished. It was well known that Captain Kearney had nothing but his pay— and that it was the hopes of prize-money to support his family which had induced him to stay out so long in the west indies it was laughable yet i could not laugh there was a melancholy feeling at such a specimen of insanity which prevented me now peter we'll go on said captain kearney after a pause of a few minutes i have a few legacies to bequeath first of all my servants fifty pounds each and two suits of mourning to my nephew thomas kearney of kearney hall yorkshire i bequeath the sword presented me by the grand sultan i promised it to him and although we have quarrelled and not spoken for years i always keep my word the plate presented me by the merchants and underwriters of lloyd's i leave to my worthy friend the duke of newcastle is that down yes sir well my snuff-box presented me by prince potemkin i bequeathed to admiral sir isaac coffin and also i release him from the mortgage which i hold over his property of the madeline islands in north america by the by say and further i bequeath to him the bag of snuff presented to me by the day of algiers he may as well have the snuff as he has the snuff-box is that down yes sir well then now peter i must leave you something oh never mind me replied i no no peter i must not forget my cousin let me see you shall have my fighting sword a real good one, I can tell you. I once fought a duel with it at Palermo, and ran a Sicilian print so clean through the body, and it held so tight, that we were obliged to send for a pair of post-horses to pull it out again. Put that down as a legacy for my cousin, Peter Simple. I believe that is all. Now for my executors, and I request my particular friends, the Earl of Londonderry and the Marquis of Chandos, and Mr. John Lubbock, banker, to be my executors and leave each of them the sum of one thousand pounds for their trouble and in token of regard that will do peter now as i have left so much real property it is necessary that there should be three witnesses so call in two more and let me sign in your presence. this order was obeyed and this strange will duly attested for i hardly need to say that even the presents he had pretended to receive were purchased by himself at different times but such was the force of his ruling passion even to the last mr phillett and o'brien used to come and see him as did occasionally some of the other officers and he was always cheerful and merry and seemed to be quite indifferent about his situation although fully aware of it his stories if anything became more marvellous as no one ventured to express a doubt as to their credibility i had remained in the hospital about a week when captain kearney was evidently dying the doctor came felt his pulse and gave it as his opinion that he could not outlive the day this was on a friday and there certainly was every symptom of dissolution he was so exhausted that he could scarcely articulate his feet were cold and his eyes appeared glazed and turning upwards the doctor remained an hour felt his pulse again shook his head and said to me in a low voice he is quite gone as soon as the doctor quitted the room captain kearney opened his eyes and beckoned me to him he's a confounded fool peter said he he thinks i'm slipping my wind now but i know better going i am tis true but i shan't die till next thursday strange to say from that moment he rallied and although it was reported that he was dead and the admiral had signed the acting order for his successor the next morning to the astonishment of everybody captain kearney was still alive he continued in this state between life and death until the thursday next the day on which he asserted that he would die, and on that morning he was evidently sinking fast. Towards noon his breathing became much oppressed and irregular, and he was evidently dying. The rattle in his throat commenced, and I watched at his bedside, waiting for his last gasp, when he again opened his eyes and beckoning me with an effort to put my head close to him to hear what he had to say. He contrived in a sort of gurgling whisper, and with much difficulty to utter, "Peter." I, i'm going now not as a rattle and my throat is a sign of death for i once knew a man to live with the rattle in his throat for six weeks he fell back and expired having perhaps as his last gasp told the greatest lie of his whole life thus died this most extraordinary character who in most other points commanded respect he was a kind man and a good officer but from the idiosyncrasy of his disposition whether from habit or from nature could not speak the truth i say from nature because i have witnessed the vice of stealing equally strong and never to be eradicated it was in a young messmate of good family and who was supplied with money to almost any extent he was one of the most generous open-hearted lads that i ever knew he would offer his purse or the contents of his chest to any of his messmates and at the same time would steal everything that he could lay his hands upon. I have known him watch for hours to steal what could be of no use to him, as, for instance, an odd shoe, and that much too small for his foot. What he stole he would give away the very next day. But to check it was impossible. It was so well known that if anything were missed, we used first to apply to his chest, to see if it were there, and usually found the article in question. He appeared to be wholly insensible to shame upon the subject though in every other he showed no want of feeling or honour, and, strange to say, he never covered his theft with a lie. After vain attempts to cure him of this propensity, he was dismissed the service as incorrigible. Captain Kearney was buried in the churchyard with the usual military honours. In his desk we found directions in his own hand relative to his funeral and the engraving on his tombstone. In these he states his age to be thirty-one years." If this were correct, Captain Kearney, from the time he had been in the service of his country, must have entered the Navy just four months before he was born. It was unfortunate that he commenced the inscription with Here lies Captain Kearney, etc., etc. His tombstone had not been set up twenty-four hours before somebody who knew his character put a dash under one word, as emphatic as it was true of the living man. Here lies Captain Kearney. End of chapter thirty-seven